1: Welcome to Golf Betting On Demand. I'm your host Rick Gaiman and I'm here to break down everything that you need to know for this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. Now before we do that let's take a quick look back at the Honda Classic. Uh, I was there live and in the flesh Uh, for this week PGA National did what we all expected it to do which was play incredibly difficult. Those are the types of events that I really like because you're never out of it. Uh, this is what I talked about last week, being able to live bet uh, someone who's just a few shots back, someone like I bet on Saturday evening, which would have been Mackenzie Hughes. His number was all over the place. You could have gotten it for 80 to 1, 110, 150 to 1, anywhere in there, depending on your book of choice or what was available to you. But uh, Mackenzie Mackenzie Hughes got to the lead for one point on the back nine. I think he started the day four shots back. He did not end up cashing that ticket, but that was the perfect type of live betting situation because of the way that PGA national was playing. So I'm glad that there was a really good example from last week based on the conversation that we had. Now, I know a lot of us hit Sung JM last week. He's one of the more popular uh players in the kind of like the Twitter sphere of golf and someone that we talk about on this show quite a bit. We also hit those Benny on tickets at 10 or I'm sorry, top 5, top 10 depending on what you bet him. He finished in fourth place so we were able to cash those as well. All in all, a great week down in Florida. And now we go to the second leg of the Florida Swing. So this is the Arnold Palmer Invitational being hosted at Bay Hill Club and Lodge, which is the same host course since 1979. So we have a lot of course history to go off of. And if you think or if you like difficult golf courses, you're going to get a little bit more of the same this week. Now, Bay Hill is a little bit more dependent on weather as a defense, but generally speaking, this is a difficult course. In fact, it was the ninth most difficult course on the PGA tour last year. And the second most difficult par 72, uh, the full par 72 in action this week, What you're going to see again, it's Florida. So what do you expect? Water lurking everywhere. Yep. Bunkers lurking everywhere. Absolutely. Both of those are going to come into play this week. And it's an absolutely, uh, precision, type game. There's a lot of uh, a lot of holes where you're going to have to decide how much of the water you want to carry, for example, or how much risk you want to take on. Being mentally fit is going to be just as important as being physically fit for this week because it's just that much of a thinking man's course. When we look at the key stats, so for those of you who are new, I do a regression model to determine what the most important stats of the week are, and there were two that really stood out this week at Bay Hill. The first being strokes gained off the tee. It is only it is so important here that only one other course on the PGA Tour ranks strokes gained off the tee more important. Uh strokes gained approach ranks 5th, meaning there are only four other courses on the PGA Tour where strokes gained approach is more important. And then there's a big gap between Basically, the rest of the other stats on the PGA Tour, meaning that we really should focus on ball strikers, and that makes sense. with With the hazards lurking everywhere, with bunkers lurking everywhere, it does make sense that the precision ball strikers have had the ability to find success around Bay Hill, and with the fact that we have what forty years of data to go off of, this is a pretty great uh, model to run, and it's a great course history to be able to follow the field. We are back to an invitational. So it's just like the Genesis where you're getting about 120 golfers, more guys are going to make the cut. And generally speaking, this is a much deeper uh, field than we have seen. Well, I shouldn't say seen recently because the WGC was a great field. The Genesis was a great field, but like the Honda, for example, this is a much deeper field because of that invitational status. Past champions, last year, 2019, Francesco Molinari, 12 under par. Uh, Rory McIlroy won it two years ago at 18 under par. Mark Leishman won it in 2017 at 11 under. Jason Day won it in 2016. And then back to back years for Matt Every, believe it or not, in 15 and 14 at 19 and 13 under par. So more recently, the scores have been better. They've been lower. They've been deeper under par. But historically, you know, 13 under par would have won something like nine of the last 12 years around. Bay Hill. So it's going to depend on the weather. It's going to depend on if that wind starts to kick up and how everything pans out from there. But this is still going to generally be one of the more difficult tracks that we see on a yearly basis, especially in the par 72 realm. The betting board. These are a lot of household names and names that you've come to know and love. The top of it led by the short 5 to 1 Rory McIlroy. We'll certainly be talking about him, the world's number 1 player. Tommy Fleetwood uh, off a slight failure, some may deem it last week by not winning the Honda Classic is next at 14 to 1. Hideki Matsuyama is 16 to 1. Bryson DeChambeau right behind him at 18 to 1. Adam Scott 20 to 1. Xander Schauffele at 25 to one, three guys at 30 to one. That's Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed and Sung J M. And then that rounds out at 35 to one with Jason day, Tony Finau and Ricky Fowler. So a very deep field, a very good, iconic, excellent course. We are in store for another set of great golf for this week. And let's jump right into this. Let's look at the top of the betting board and talk through some of these studs. And we're going to start with the top dog. It's Rory McIlroy at five to one. Generally speaking, I think you guys know how I feel about the short number and how often it actually has to come in to pay off. And that's what we're talking about with someone at five to one. We don't usually see numbers all this short in, um, it's not technically a full field event. It is an invitational, but these numbers are usually more available. Um, you know, it could be a full field event where there's one stud. I always go back to Dustin Johnson at an RBC Canadian. That is the time you generally get someone at five or six to one. You generally don't get it that often in super deep fields like we have this week, and you certainly wouldn't get it in majors for the most part, where you know eight, nine, ten to one is usually the starting point for those boards. But if anyone deserves a number this short, it is certainly. Rory McIlroy. He's finished no worse than fifth in six straight worldwide starts, which is just kind of a mind-boggling thing to say, quite honestly. I mean, it's it's absolutely wild. He's been knocking on the door. I think a lot of people would say that he should have won some of those. You know, he doesn't have a win in that span. Uh, he probably should have won you know, he won, he won WGC HSBC, um, probably should have won at the Genesis where he was in the final group. Like there's situations where he probably should have won more often. And yet here we are world's best player very clearly. And then you pile on what he has done around Bay Hill, which is a T6, a win and a T4 in his last three starts. And you are looking at pristine recent form, pristine long-term form and pristine course history. So if anyone deserves this number, it's absolutely Roy McIlroy. I don't know if I will get to actually bet it. I will probably take a pass and start my card somewhere deeper, which we'll talk about in just a bit. But if you are going to bet a five to one number, this is exactly the type of situation you would want to bet it in right behind him. Interesting enough, you know, Tommy Fleetwood has gotten a lot of respect from Las Vegas over the course of the last two weeks. I think very easily last week, he could have been, you know, second favorite in odds behind Brooks Kepka. I think you could have even put him behind Ricky Fowler at some points. Um, and then this week, even in an even deeper field with Hideki and Bryson uh and guys like that right behind Fleetwood comes in as the second shortest odds. And I think it's A well-deserved respect from Vegas, who understands that Tommy Fleetwood has been one of the hottest players over the course of, I don't know, the last few months around the world. He now owns the longest made cut streak in the world. I believe he's made 33 straight cuts, so he's super consistent, and he flashes that upside. Six straight top 20s worldwide, with four of those being inside the top three. This is where we look at a little bit of perception and reality, and sometimes they are the same, and sometimes they are not. If you would have told us last week before the Honda Classic started that Tommy Fleetwood was going to finish third, we would have been very impressed. We would have said, "Wow, Tommy does it again! Finishes, uh, you know, great at PGA National, awesome." But the way he did it, which is you know, have a two-shot lead on Sunday. Um, you, you just have, you're sitting in the, in the fairway of 18, having to make birdie on a par five and you hit it in the water. I think that just changes the, the perception, uh, it doesn't change the reality, it changes the perception of Tommy Fleetwood moving forward that, Hey, he can't win. He's a choke artist. We talked about it. We said, you know, the top of the betting board last week did not have a lot of wins to their name. Um, and Tommy Fleetwood did not add one last week. So there is that, that perception versus reality where, you know, if you just look at the results and see how well he played, you might not necessarily want to knock him over the course of just a few holes that got away from him. Uh, But objectively playing really, really good right now. In the last three years at Bay Hill, like another thing, you know, this is a good fit for him. It's a good course for him. Last Last three years, he's gone third, 26th, and 10th at Bay Hill. It's a situation where 14 to 1 is still very short. Uh, I probably prefer playing Tommy in more game theory type situations. If you're in a a pool where you have to choose between the top golfers or if you're playing some some fantasy aspect uh, where the ownership of Tommy Fleetwood matters more than what his just outright number is. So I'm not sure I'll bet this outright. But I do kind of like the fact that you can buy low on Tommy, maybe get him in some matchups. We'll see where those numbers come in for the rest of the week. And then quickly, um, what I want to do is I want to cover Hideki Matsuyama, who's there at 16 to 1. At the top, I mentioned how important it's going to be to be a great ball striker this week. That means off the tee and on approach. And Hideki is absolutely elite in the world when it comes to ball striking. The problems, of course, continue to be the putter, although he's putted a little bit better recently, and the fickle history that he has had around Bay Hill. Last five years is nothing really to write home about. 33rd, 49th, 45th. He did have a sixth place finish four years ago. And then a 21st. It's like, okay, those are fine results for anybody, but Hideki's a top 20 player in the world. You would expect that to be a little bit better. His recent form coming in is awesome. Top sixes at both the Genesis and the WGC Mexico, and he hasn't missed the cut worldwide in 11 straight starts. All right. We're going to dive deeper into the rest of the top, the middle and everything else for this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational right after these words. welcome back to golf betting on demand arnold palmer invitational it is gonna be a good one all week we are after one week of the honda classic where the field was you know listen we got spoiled okay we got spoiled for wgc mexico we got spoiled for the genesis invitational no knock against the honda but a lot of the big name players took the week off but not this week not At the Arnold Palmer Invitational, we are back to a star-studded field. We talked through the very tippy-top of this, but there are a lot of other guys at the top of the betting board that deserve a bit of conversation. And let's start with Bryson DeChambeau at 18-1. to Bryson's form coming in. You know just the last couple of weeks would you know one would argue he's one of the hotter players on the pga tour at the moment a t5 at the genesis followed by a second place in mexico you could argue he probably should have won in mexico my bank account would argue that as well but uh we will let it go it's hard to win golf tournaments he wasn't able to close it out patrick reed snuck up and got him but hey dechambeau has been playing awesome And if we are going to look at a guy who, like, if we think strokes gained off the tee is going to be important this week, and I certainly think it is, because historically it has proven to be one of the highest correlated stats, not just this week at Bay Hill, but across the PGA Tour, strokes gained, I'm sorry, strokes gained off the tee at Bay Hill is one of the more powerful correlated stats over the last 12 years or so. And Bryson DeChambeau has taken great strides to improve his off the tee game over the course of the last, I don't know, six to eight months. Everyone knows he's been bulking up. He's been going to the gym. He's been trying to hit the ball further, and it's working. Uh, He's one of the best off the tee players at the moment. He's gaining a ton of strokes there. And then you look at his results around the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and he finished second here two years ago so obviously a place that he's going to have good vibes coming back a place that he should actually probably fit better now than he ever has uh based on his statistical profile it feels like this is a week to go out and get bryson now 18 to one is a fairly short number considering that there are other big name players later on and lower on this betting board. So if you're starting your card here, I have no problem starting with Bryson DeChambeau. However, for me personally, we'll talk about this at the end of the show. I might opt to start my betting card just a bit longer. Next up, is Xander Shoffley at 25 to one. And now this is a really intriguing section of the board. We're going to get into a couple of names here that really offer a ton of value. In my opinion, guys that have significant win equity. And one of the first ones that fits that category is Xander Shoffley at 25 to one, the general narrative or the general way to look at this on paper is to say that Shawfley hasn't been that good recently you know his last three starts they're they're not bad but his last three starts t16 t23 t14 now if it's any other player in the world you know for a lot of these guys those would be great results but when you are a top 10 player in the world you're basically expected to do better than that and that's the issue that xander's having at the moment certainly not a knock against him but um, he just hasn't been able to put it all together and i think to me that's the key go back. I, I highly encourage you to go back and look at individual rounds for Xander Shoffley. And what you'll find is yes, while his tournament results have been, you know, kind of meh, his round by round information is super interesting. Basically one or two rounds of every tournament, Xander has been the best player in the tournament. Now, the problem is that one to two rounds every tournament, he's been the worst player in the tournament or close to it seriously, go back. And if you go look at two rounds out of the last three or four tournaments that he played, uh, there is a round where he loses strokes putting to the tune of like three or four strokes in that round. It's insane. So the fact that he's really just having one or two bad rounds, play himself out of this, uh, play himself out week in and week out. And the way that he's doing it is with the putter, the most random aspect, the most random skill set, you know, on a week-to-week or a day-by-day basis, that's actually a great sign, because if he just cuts down on a little bit of that negative volatility, that southern, uh, you know, going going really high, missing a lot of putts, that if he fixes that, he's in contention every single week. And if you if you remember, like, we would not even be having this conversation about Xander if he. Just two putted on 18 on the 72nd hole at the Tournament of Champions. Remember, he was it might have been in the playoff, but he had like a two foot or a, a, I'm sorry, a 40 foot putt on 18. If he two putts it, he wins. Uh, I believe he I believe he was in regulation because then he three putts it and they go to a playoff with Reed and Justin Thomas and Justin Thomas ends up uh, winning that one as well. So. Listen, the guy is so good. He's proving to be one of the best players on the planet uh, multiple times a tournament. He's just got to put it all together. And when he does, he's going to be filling up his trophy case very, very quickly. What I want to do for the rest of this segment is talk about some fades. This is a, a kind of a, a thing that we used to do a lot in the past where I'd, I'd break it down and say, okay, here's here's a section of uh, guys that I like, here's a section of fades, etc., um, this is the fade section. So I want to bring this back a little bit because I found three guys to be very interesting, very much in the same spot that I think we should talk about. The first one is 30 to one Brooks Kepka. Kepka, the current number three player in the world in name alone, because he is certainly not playing like it. And there are, you know, little signs of life that he is turning around. This is a kind of a situation where we talk about this for a lot of players, whether you want to be early or be late on them. Uh, I'm going to wait and see on Brooks Kepka. He hasn't looked good. Uh, you know, Honda. Honda should have been a real good, a really good litmus test for him because he has played enough. He should be shaking off the rust. Honda is a place like literally in his backyard that he should be able to dominate. And he goes out and lays another egg. Uh, misses the cut over the course of two rounds. He loses. 4.6 strokes putting that is now three straight starts that he's lost strokes with the putter that's pretty unheard of for Brooks Kepka. just something going on out there and even outside of the putting which I'm a firm believer can come back at any moment his off the t-game has been uh it's been okay you know he's usually one of the elite off the tee players in the world. It's just been okay. His approach game has just been fine. Uh, He's just down in almost every single category, and the putting is what is really keeping him from uh, being in contention, or even, quite frankly, making the cut and and getting to the weekend and finding something. Like He just needs to get his... Like If he played four rounds, he might find something over the course of four rounds that he could carry over, but he's not finding anything right now I'm going to continue to sell my Brooks Kepka stock and see where I wind up. You know, let's let's wait and see. Let him get through the next couple of weeks. If he starts showing signs of life, maybe these numbers stay this low because Vegas has quickly moved on him. And compared to what they did to Jordan Spieth, which was keep his number ridiculously short, even as he was going through like a year's worth of brutal play, they were very quick to pull the rug out from underneath Brooks Kepka and get his number down to 30 to one. So we'll see where it goes. It might even get deeper than that. And if you start showing life, uh, we'll be right back on it, but not for the time being. Next up is Ricky Fowler. And I could almost take kind of the same story of Brooks and translate it over to Ricky Fowler at 35 to one. For me, he's just another fade. And the reasons are a little bit different. He's obviously healthy, but he's going through swing changes right now. He's been working with his new swing coach, uh, trying to tighten things up and clearly he's struggling through it. Missed cut at the Honda. Again, a place he has absolutely dominated over the years and he should have dominated again. Then he went to uh, waste ma- or prior to that, he went to Waste Management, a place that he's also dominated and finished 37th. You know, I was actually having a conversation this week. I forget who it was with. I met a lot of people this week down in Florida, uh, a lot of sharp golf guys, and they were basically saying, you know, Waste Management is a is a litmus test for those who play well there. Uh, golfers that historically play well at Waste Management and they do play well are usually in store for a good year. Guys who go to waste management that historically play it well and play poorly are in for a really long year. And we went back and we kind of checked out some of the the guys that fit that criteria. And yeah, there is there there appeared to be something to it. Could all be a coincidence? Could all just be noise? But uh, the fact that Ricky even struggled at waste management is very concerning. Uh, it might be a sign that this is not going to be Ricky's year. It's going to take a while to get back on track. And then even before that the miscut at the Farmers. you know, so, so now two of his three events. last three events have been miscuts and a 37th at a place that he has absolutely destroyed over the years is really concerning. Then you factor, the, factor in that in his eight trips to Bay Hill, the Arnold Palmer, Arnold Palmer Invitational, excuse me, he only has one top 10. All of that adds up to a pretty significant hard pass for me. I'm happy to be wrong on Ricky Fowler. And when these swing changes click, and he gets back to winning, I will be thrilled. And I'll continue to start betting him again, but I need to see more. Uh, and I'll come back to Ricky much quicker than I come back to Brooks Kepka. And then finally, the last fade for me, uh, is probably Tony Finau. So Tony is there at 35 to 1. He's not my only fade, but the guys that are, you know, all here in this 30 to 35 to 1 range. And, Finau, you know, was one of the hotter players on the planet. Frankly, uh, about two months ago, he struggled a bit at Genesis. Finished fifty-first. He still made the cut. That's nice. But then you you look at the history around uh, around Bay Hill, and all you have is a twenty-eighth, a forty-third, and a missed cut. That doesn't necessarily invoke a lot of confidence. Now, when I say fade, uh, I think it's easy to say hey, I, I want to fade these golfers because I don't think they're going to win. Well, only one golfer is going to win every, every week. So it's a very easy thing for me to say, I don't think these three guys are going to win. Uh, generally, when I do fade guys, obviously I'm not betting them outright, but I also look to target against them in matchups or groups. So for example, if there is a, I don't know, Xander versus Brooks head to head, I would be hammering the Xander side. Not only because I like Xander side this week, but I just don't like the Brooks side. Um, same thing for Ricky. If I can find another, if I can find a Sung J M versus Ricky bet or a Sung J M versus Tony Finau bet, I would be hammering those. So when I say fade, yes, it means not bet them, but it also opens up some opportunities whether they're in a matchup or whether they are in a a group setting which we actually um i've been playing a lot more of groups recently to some pretty decent success if you know because you're gonna have a group that's probably brooks ricky fowler they all might be the same group so i'll probably bet whoever the other two guys in that group are all right we're gonna jump into a bit longer shots right after these words Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand for this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. I'm Rick Gaiman, and we're getting you ready for everything that you need to know for this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. So we've already covered, uh, actually we've covered last week, covered the Honda we covered uh, this week's field preview, this week's course preview, the fact that we have such great course history because Bay Hill has been the host of this event since 1979. So what's that, 41 years we're going on? Uh, one of the longest running streaks or stretches of the same course in the same event very impressive stuff but that also helps out our models because the course history and the tournament history is so deep uh talked about the top of the betting board and then got into the middle and now we're really into the thick of it we're in the 40 to 50 range and i've got to tell you i love almost everybody here uh there this is almost going to become it's going to come down to not necessarily who i want to bet but how many i want to bet and what my actual betting slip might look like. So let let I'll jump into the golfers and then we can kind of discuss through maybe some strategy about how I want to take on all of these different bets. So first off, Ben on Byun Hun on 45 to 1. You know, we cashed a top 5 and a top 10 ticket on him last week as he finished 4th at the Honda Classic and he was so incredibly good except for his first round. He opened in a six over 76 that for most guys would have taken him out of the field, would have missed the weekend, would have never heard or seen from him again. But Benion fights back, finishes 68, I'm sorry, 66, 68, 67 on an incredibly difficult PGA national. Uh, Really, really impressive stuff. If you look at his uh, week-long statistics. He gained nine strokes tee to green and only gained one putting. That is exactly the type of formula that we want to see from our golfers. In fact, I, I will say credit to Sung J M. Sung J M's uh, statistical breakdown was was. Uh, perfect for what you'd expect out of a winner, uh, who just played the best, did not ride a hot putter. And Ben-On did the same thing. Ben-On did not need six strokes gained putting, which quite frankly would be a lot for anybody. It would be a lot for Benny who is historically not a very good putter. But then you look at outside of round one, go rounds two, rounds three, and round four, no one was better in the field strokes gained t to, to green i'm sorry strokes gained total nobody was better than ben on over the final three rounds he beat eventual champion sung jm he beat uh mackenzie hughes no one was better really impressive stuff for him to carry over into this week at bay hill the perfect statistical model for someone that we would want to back next up colin morikawa also 45 to one uh, we're not even through the 45s. Can you believe we've already got Ben on and Colin Morikawa here? Uh, Morikawa is one of the game's brightest young stars. He, he, you know, he came out with that group of golfers with Matt Wolf, with uh, Victor Hovland. He was a year after Joaquin Neiman. He went out and he won the Barracuda Championship last year. He is cementing himself as one of the top 50 players in the world. He is going to be there for a long time, and. The thing I like about this kid, 23 straight cuts made. He does not give up. He continues to grind. In fact, at the Genesis Invitational, one of the most difficult fields, one of the most difficult courses that these guys are ever going to see, Morikawa opened his tournament going out in the front nine in 40, four over 40. He could have chalked it up, you know, he could have packed it in. He could have said, this is the week that my cut streak ends, my cut streak ends, and he didn't. He goes out, he makes a run. He actually gets to the first page of the leaderboard on Sunday before fading back a little bit, but really impressive stuff from Colin Morikawa, 23 straight events that he has made the cut every single event as a professional. And he's excellent. I mean, the skill sets there, he's excellent at everything, but he's really good off the tee. He's really good on approaches. He's not going to kill you anywhere. Morikawa is, uh, if I could buy long-term stock in golfers, he would probably be, probably be near the top of the list. After that is Justin Rose, additionally a forty-five-to-one golfer, and this to me is—I I don't know. Okay, so you kind of look at this in the same way we look at like Brooks, where Brooks has underperformed relative to himself, and I think Justin Rose would also argue that he has underperformed relative to himself. You know, he's missed a couple of cuts recently, missed the cut at the Farmers. Um, I think he missed the cut at Genesis. Just like it hasn't played all that well. But at least there are signs of life. Like when you compare him to Brooks, where Brooks is like, I don't see anything here. At least on Justin Rose, you know, he won or I'm sorry, he came in second in Singapore just 4 starts ago. Okay, it hasn't been good since then, but 4 starts ago he was second to Matt Kuchar in Singapore. And we have seen times where Justin Rose goes through these little funks, two or 3 starts in a row things are kind of wonky with the driver or wonky with the putter and he usually gets them figured out quite quickly. He rarely goes on a long sustained downturn for for lack of a better term. So I'm I'm optimistic that you know at any point Justin Rose can turn this around and even more optimistic about his history here at the Arnold Palmer Invitational and Bay Hill. He has six top 15 finishes in his last 8 years at Bay Hill, meaning he is you know a staple on the first page of the leaderboard comes Sunday. And when you have that, uh, you know, it, it's kind of difficult to overlook. And the only guy who's probably has a better track record, there's probably two guys that have a better track record Tiger Woods, who's not playing this week, and the guy next, also at 45 to 1, Henrik Stenson. Stenson has made 10 of 11 cuts at bay hill and has five top 10 yet yet he has never won this event it's like the only thing he hasn't done here and you go back and you look at stenson and you look at his recent form kind of similar to justin rose you know playing on the european tour recently uh hasn't been all that good he has a 23rd a 37th and a 44th those are fields that he probably should have had better results in but again four starts ago he won at the hero world challenge I know it's only only an 18-man field, but you have like 18 of the best golfers in the world there. So it's a situation where uh, you know you have some signs of life. You're you're taking a guy who is historically long-term, an excellent player, and you are putting him in a place that he has dominated over the years, and you see what happens. Uh, That's that's four guys at 45 to one, and I mentioned like like now what you know? Do we do we bet them all? Do we bet none of them? Like how do we allocate this? So as a reminder for what I like to do in terms of uh, my allocation. And this is different for everyone of course, because you can simply just bet one golfer, you can bet 25 golfers all straight up, one unit and just say, hey this is you know I hope to have a sweat come Sunday if one of these guys wins great. What I like to do is I like to say, okay, here is the amount um, that I'm willing to bet this week. And for round numbers, let's call it hundred dollars. And I can split that hundred dollars up kind of any way that I want. Uh, but I also have a target number that I want to hit. So if I want to win $500 uh, for every time I get an outright, you know, this week with Rory at five to one, I need to bet all of my $100 on Rory and I have nothing left for anyone else. Um, now I could obviously adjust those numbers. I could bet more, but like, you know, this is for standard numbers here. But if I, for example, have a guy at uh, 50 to one, if I need to win him, if I need to win 500 from him, I only need to bet $10 on him. So now I have $90 remaining to bet with. So now I'm like, okay, well I, at 45 to one, I could, in theory, in my example here, I could bet all of these guys, I could bet all four of them basically at what? $12 a pop, something like that to get them all to $500 and have four cracks from this range. Now you see the dilemma because when you go to the... Top of the betting board and bet someone like a Rory or a Fleetwood, you run out of your bankroll or or your amount that you are willing to bet each week. You run out of it very quickly, uh, because like I mentioned, like if if my numbers were that, if my numbers were one hundred dollar, uh, I'm willing to risk a hundred each week and I need to win five hundred on a outright, I could only bet Rory. I could not bet anyone else. No one else would fit. Um, Or, or if I'm sorry, if I wanted to bet Rory, no one else would fit. So you kind of have to figure it out. So the lower you start your uh, betting board, the more guys that you have access to do, which is kind of what I do. Uh, I I don't like to just do you know bet all of it or a lot of it, a huge chunk of it on the shortest number. I like to get a guy you know start in the you know late teens or twenties. You get one there. You can get a couple in the forty to fifty range, and then you can get a bunch of guys and kind of fire you know a few very cheap darts further down the board and those cheap darts, you know, the $100 guys, you know, or the, excuse me, the hundred to one guys, you're only having to bet $5 on, right? In my, in my, if we continue my example here, you're betting $5 on a hundred to one, you could bet 20 of those guys if you wanted to. Um, but obviously there is some level of combination. So the point being, I absolutely love this 45 to one range and it might be one that I consider loading up on, which means I'm probably, Not going to bet too many guys below this, maybe one or two, and it's certainly not going to be Rory McIlroy. The other, more simple way to do this would be, um, you know, bet someone like let's see, if I if you wanted your first person to be Tommy Fleetwood at 14 to one, and you just want to bet the same amount of money on every single golfer, you could bet Tommy Fleetwood and 13 other golfers that are longer than him. So for example, if you bet Tommy Fleetwood and 13 other golfers that are longer, if Tommy Fleetwood wins, you would break even because you would win, you know, you know, $10 on, on Tommy Fleetwood at 14 to one would return you 140. You would lose 13 other $10 bets. So I guess you'd make $10. Uh but if any of those longer guys wins, you're obviously going to make more. Now the problem that I have with this is it's very hard to win an outright. When you hit a 14 to 1, you don't want to make ten dollars. You wanna make all the money. Um, you know, that is a, a good way to do it if you just wanna hey I just want to view. I want to sweat. I don't really care about the money. I just want to have something to root for. This gives you a lot of guys to root for. Unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily work for me because a lot of times you hit that 14 to one and you walk away with a $10 profit or something like that for the week. It's just not worth the amount of times you're actually going to win. All right. On the other side, we are going to wrap this up with some long shots and who I'm actually betting this week right after these words. Welcome back to Golf Betting on Demand for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And we've covered the top of the betting board. We've covered the middle of the betting board. And there's really only one thing left to talk about. And that's everybody's favorite long shots. Now, I like we've seen too many long shots win around here, but definitely worth a conversation because it is a very deep field. And I want to start uh, maybe not necessarily super long, but start the 50s. So a couple guys here at the fifties that I think are really interesting. The first one being Terrell Hatton. We've talked about Hatton, I guess just a couple of weeks because, uh, the WGC Mexico was his first start back from off season wrist surgery. So he had two and a half months off from the time he basically won the Turkish airlines open to WGC Mexico. He did play one tournament in between there, but, um, that's really the span that we're talking about. So goes out, shows up in Mexico, you know, Cold, as they say. Obviously, he's been playing, but... goes out and finishes T6 in his first competitive rounds, cashed everybody's top 10 tickets. It was a beautiful sight and the stats were good. I mean, his, his, his PGA tour stats are pretty ridiculous right now. He like leads the tour in strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained approach. But remember I believe he only has four measured rounds. So it's obviously a small sample size, but a very good thing to see. It's better that he is doing well than doing poorly. And then you go and look at, uh, you know, his finishes here at Bay Hill and realize that he finished fourth in 2017. So 50 to one, for a guy who's, you know, presumably playing well, was playing well before the risk procedure goes to a place that he's had good success. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's fire that up and see what happens. I'm okay with that. Also at 50 to one is Mark Leishman, uh, Leishman. (laughs) I I don't really know how much there is to say, or how little there is to say this to me is a, it's a good number. He's 50 to one. He just won a few weeks back at the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines, and he did it in a way that we didn't think was quite possible. He missed nearly every fairway, uh, but was firing darts with his irons, making every putt, and he steals the tournament away from presumably John Rahm. Uh, Rory was in contention too, but it was kind of Rahm's to, to win. So Leishman goes out and does that. Uh, the, the narrative around the, the International President's Cup team and the Australian, uh, the Australians this year has been so strong. Those guys are just winning nonstop. And it makes sense for him to find success here at Bay Hill because what we've seen from Mark Leishman is that generally the more difficult the course, the better he plays. If it's firm, it's fast. Uh, Even if the rough is fairly thick, that tends to be good for Mark Leishman, former champion here at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And he's backed that up. His last four years are a 23rd a seventh that win in 2017 and a 17th. So he was leading in with good form. He won and then he backed it up to additional years. He's playing well this year. This is all systems go on a 50 to one shot at Mark Leishman. Obviously tough to say all systems go on a 50 to one shot, but that's kind of the situation that we are in at the moment. I really like the opportunity to get my hands on Leishman. Next up, um, now we're getting pretty deep and we're getting into kind of elite skill sets and different types of players, but the guy that caught my eye at 90 to one is Scotty Scheffler. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the swing season, actually go back further than that. Scotty Scheffler coming up from the Corn Fairy Tour, he's your Corn Fairy Tour graduate. I believe he was the regular season points leader on the Corn Fairy Tour last year. Um, which would make him make him the player of the year, essentially, into his rookie season in which he got off on a super, super quick start this year. He was knocking out top fives and top tens during the swing season. I saw him play at Shriners. He played well at um, in Bermuda, I believe it was as well, just racking up top fives and top tens all over the place. And then he hit a little bit of a bump. Uh, as the calendar turned to 2020, struggled a little bit, missed a couple of cuts, but he's starting to turn it around. His last two starts are a 26th in Mexico at the WGC event and a 30th at the Genesis. And on paper, that's nothing really to write home about, but keep in mind, those are literally two of the deepest, most difficult fields that we had in recent memory. I mean, Genesis, outside of the majors, and honestly, it was more difficult than some majors, but outside of the majors, it was the most difficult, deepest field in like the last 15 years on tour. Uh, and then a WGC event like WGC Mexico is always going to be stockpiled with, um, with studs and it's going to be super deep and there's really not that many you know, free spaces uh, on the board, so to speak. So for him to put up two really good performances there... Uh, is a lot of life to show. And then the fa- and then you look at him statistically and he's you know plus on the off the tee side, he's plus on approaches, like all good. Let's see if we can get Scotty Scheffler his first PGA Tour victory at 90 to 1. Next up is Kevin Na, 100 to 1, and I get a lot of questions about Kevin Na because I I, I I I I write a lot about him, I I speak a lot about him. And I don't think people really understand what I get at with Kevin Na. Um, Do I think Kevin Na is a good player? Sure. Do I understand what type of player that he is? Absolutely. He is incredibly inconsistent that he is consistent. He's he's consistently inconsistent, meaning that he is going to have results that are all over the place. He's going to finish dead last and he's going to win golf tournaments. I mentioned this stat a few weeks ago. I, I think now he's won twice in his last, like 16 starts worldwide or 17 starts. Not many guys can say that, um, but just look at his recent results. So his recent, his last five starts have been ninth miscut, 14th miscut 17th. Like that is a pretty wide range. And there's really no rhyme or reason to when it's going to happen for Kevin Na. Even look at his Bay Hill results missed cut miscut cut sixth in the last four years. You, you just rarely get a consistent thing from Kevin, Kevin, not, which I know a lot of people, uh, then stay away from him because of that. You don't have to stay away from him. You just have to understand what you're getting yourself into. Is he going to win more than 1% of the time based on these odds? Yes, he probably is. He's won twice in his last 16 or 17 starts worldwide. Um, is he going to miss the cut a lot? Yes, of course. He's going to miss the cut a ton. He's going to finish 60th a ton. Like, like, just understand what you're getting yourself into when you're playing Kevin Knot. I would never bet him really in like a top 20 situation where you're looking for a, a safe outcome, or I'd never parlay him in a, you know, to make the cut parlay. That would just be silliness. So just understand what each of these golfers offer to you and how best to control that. Elite skill sets come into play at 135 to 1 for Cam Champ. Um, back at the top of the show, we talked about what the key stats were for this week. And you know, basically by far the top two key stats are Strokes Gained Off the T and Strokes Gained Approach. Strokes gained off the T is one of the most important stats at Bay Hill when you compare all stats to all courses. And in fact, there is only one other course on the PGA tour in which strokes gained off the tee is more important. So if we use that as a baseline and say that strokes gained off the tee is going to be critical this week, uh, nobody hits it off the tee like Cam Champ. He leads the field in strokes gained off the tee. He absolutely bombs it. He's gaining constantly. It's the rest of his game that is certainly a concern. Now, like a Kevin Na, there are going to be weeks that he puts this all together and he's going to win. He has won twice already in his PGA tour career. Uh, that's that's validation. It's hard to win twice anywhere. It's very difficult to win on the PGA tour. So he takes that really elite skill set and translates it a handful of times a year. I see him at 135 to one at a place where his skill set will be absolutely critical. Uh, maybe not an outright, but a top five, top 10 are certainly in play for Cam Smith. And then finally, um, Matt Neesmith is here. And, and a lot of you are probably like, who? who is here? It's Matt Neesmith, who is 175 to 1 to win the golf tournament. He is 28 to 1 to finish in the top 5. And he is 12 to 1 to finish in the top 10. This guy's been good. <laughs> I mean, he is playing really well at the moment. Let's Just look at his last handful of results. Uh, 38th at the Honda. 6th at the Puerto Rican Open, 11th at Pebble Beach, 30th at the Farmers, 17th at the American Express, 32nd at the Sony, and 14th at the RSM Classic. So what is that? Five, uh, 7 or 8 straight events. I, I didn't even go back any further than that, that he's made the cut, which is great. And then he's got you know nothing worse than a 38th place finish in there. He's got a handful of top 20s. He's playing really well. Um, he's a great approach player. His skill set is approach and putting. Uh, which obviously is not necessarily the exact skill set that I would want for this week, but it is good enough. Uh, if I'm going to bank on anything each week, give me, give me ball strikers, give me the approach guys, and then putting, that's just kind of a little bit of a bonus. So, uh, so no, I'm not betting him outright, but I'm looking towards betting him in those top five and top 10 scenarios. So let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about my actual card for this week and where I'm at right now. This will expand, um, but where I'm at right now is Xander at 25 to 1. Uh, I, I mentioned the fact that I really just expect him to put four rounds together at some point or three rounds together. And for one or two rounds every single week, he's the best player on the face of the earth. And once he puts a third round together or just makes his his bad round of the week, not nearly as bad as it has been over the past month or so, he's going to win a lot of golf tournaments. He's going to fill up the trophy case. Getting him at 25 to one feels like a really good price. Then I already put in uh, both Ben on and Henrik Stenson at 45 to one, a little bit different for each one. Benny on Uh, for the final three rounds of the week at the Honda Classic, was the best player in the field, uh, doing everything statistically that I would like. Henrik Stenson, kind of the opposite. Uh, Long-term, he's a great player. Obviously, he won the Hero World Challenge a a handful of starts ago, but he has just like the most absolute elite uh, Bay Hill record. So kind of two different players there. And then I added Mark Leishman as well at 50. So I've got three guys already in that range between 45 and 50 that I really like. Leishman, firm, fast. Defending, or not defending champion, a former champion. He won already a couple of weeks ago at the Farmers. That to me is a solid play. And then, as I just mentioned with Matthew Neesmith, I did not bet him to win at 175 to 1, but I did bet him top 5 and more realistically top 10 at 28 to 1 and 12 to 1, respectively. That's going to do it for this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. It's been golf betting on demand. I'm your host, Rick Gaiman. You can find me on Twitter at Rick Run Good. And we'll see you next time. Best of luck this week.